we're continuing on with our sermon series through uh, 1 Timothy. And uh, last week we began uh, the year by a New Year's message from 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 4, and the previous verses to this 6 to 11. And it was really a challenge to the sort of people and the sort of church that we wanted to be in 2022, uh, which is we wanted to be a people of the word, a people of discipline, and a people who trust in the living God. And that was a challenge that we threw out last week from Paul's words to Timothy as he uh, wrote to him to encourage him about the sort of person that he needed to be. Uh, but we took from that, well, these are the challenge that, the, that we get, the sort of people we need to be, but also the sort of church that, that we are. So Paul moves on now uh, to the last a few verses in 1 Timothy 4. And these would be quite uh, well-known, familiar verses uh, but the theme of this whole next passage is about being a good example. That Paul encourages Timothy. The context that it's written in is Timothy is a young man. Uh, so the suggestions that he's possibly about late 20s, 30, early 30s. So still classed as a, a young man. And uh, Paul, being a bit older, writes to him and encourages him and simply challenges him and simply gives him these words. And actually, you need to be a good example says people will follow your example regardless of your age. And before we read the passage, just three quotes about example, because example is so important. Uh, what we do and how we live, and Timothy is a leader, uh, is more important than anything we could possibly say. The example of Jesus is the most perfect example, that his actions always backed up his words, and his words were always backed up by his actions. Nobody has any time for a leader, in a sense, who is just all talk, who just says one thing but goes and does another thing. As a matter of fact, that leader gets found out quite quickly. And it's why Paul challenges and encourages Timothy to be a good example. Three quotes, as you know, I like a quote. So the first one is this. The three most important ways to lead people are by example, by example, and by example. Second quote is this, he says, the best example of serving is serving by example. And then the third quote that I have is, people follow your example, not your advice. They simply, they watch what you do. They see how you live, how you behave. And so we see these verses here in 1 Timothy 4, beginning at verse 12, that simply says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Be Do not neglect your gift which was given you through the prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely persevere in them because if you do you will save both yourself and your hearers so as i've already said that paul is writing this to timothy because encouraging him as a young person that simply listen don't let people look down on you because you're young but he gives him the challenge and he says set an example in the way that you live your life and and obviously when we read this we understand that actually it's not just for somebody who classes himself as young but it is for each and every one of us. And actually, we all set an example in the way that we live. 
Uh, and so Paul does this by sharing five areas uh, which he has to set an example in, which we're going to look at in a second. But the reason that Paul does this is for these three reasons. The first one is this. Don't let conduct give cause for criticism, but let it encourage respect from the people he serve by his example. So what Paul was saying, he says, well, don't give them any room to criticize you. He says, in your behavior, in your conduct, in the way you treat people, don't give them any reason to make any accusation. Don't give them any reason that you have to explain yourself. Encourage respect from them uh, by your service, by your example. And so that's the first reason that Paul does it. And so the second thing he does is this. He does, Timothy is urged to live a life that was so godly no one could despise his youth. That actually age has nothing to do with it. I've often said, and this is so true, I know people in their 20s who, who are mature and spiritually wise. And I know people in their 60s who are not mature and unwise in their spiritual. Now, you might say to yourself, well, then, is that age? It's, it's nothing to do with age. And I think that's what Paul is saying here to Timothy. It's about making right decisions. It's about avoiding criticism uh, from the way that you behave or the way that you live. And actually, it's a challenge for each and every one of us as we begin the year once again, is to live a life so godly that actually nobody could despise not just our age, but often our education or intellect or ability or whatever it is you want to put in there. For Paul here, for Timothy, it's his youth. It's as simply saying, don't let anybody look down here because you're young. It says, now sometimes it's a bit of a misquoted Bible verse, that is. I was a youth pastor here for many years and preached this passage many, many times to young people. Uh, but what happens sometimes is it only gets read in part when they said, you know, don't let anyone despise you because you were young. So they, listen, you've got to read the next bit. It says the challenge that gets thrown out is be an example. So there's be an example in the way that you live and the things that, that you do. Uh, and so brings us on to the third thing, which simply says is people will not despise your youth if they admire your example, which is true, isn't it? You look at people and you see their example. How consistent are they in their spiritual walk? How faithful are they in the things that they do? And since that's the challenge this morning of the example that Paul wants to set Timothy, and he lays it out for him because he says, don't give anyone any ground. So here are the examples. Here are the following areas you need to be examples. The first one is this is speech in everything that you say. Because this could be the thing that trips you up often, he says, in, in what you say. You know, it, it, there will be, every single one of us will be guilty of this. Myself included, more so. Saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. That saying something that's totally inappropriate. Saying something that is rude or nasty or, or something that hurts somebody. We will all be guilty of that. There won't be any one of us in here that will have our speech perfect. And I think that's why Paul opens up here with Timothy and says, get the speech first. Somebody used to say, make sure you put your brain into gear before your mouth goes into action. Because, you know, what happens is it comes out and once you've said it, you can't take it back. You know, you've said it and then you say, oh, I didn't mean to say that or I didn't mean it to sound like that or I didn't mean it for, to come out like that. But it doesn't matter because the words have already been said. And it's why Paul says to Timothy, uh, this is the first thing, he says, speech, 
watch what you say. And then he says the second thing, he says, conduct. He says, this is watching what you do, be an example in what you do, because people are watching. Be consistent in your conduct. The way that you behave in one place is the way that you behave in another place. The third thing is this, he gives love. Well, this is how you treat people. This is especially those that can do nothing for you, especially those who've got nothing to offer you. How do you love people? How do you treat people? Uh, and, and so there's a challenge that comes. And then the fourth thing he says is be an example in your faith, how you walk. And it simply would have been how you walk. Well, this time last year when we did church, we did a sermon series on how's your walk because we came to realize that our walk as believers was so important uh, to our Christian faith, how we walked constantly and consistently uh, in our lives. People were watching. It's about being an example. See, when you're an example, people are watching you. They're, they're looking. And, and they're, so now sometimes people are looking because they, they want to catch you out. You know, how many times has somebody maybe said to you, when something has happened or you maybe said the wrong thing, done the wrong thing, and somebody says these words to you, I thought you were a Christian. You know, it's said, doesn't it? It says, I thought you were a Christian. <laughs> Horrifying that you've just lost your whole faith, that you've just lost everything. It says, because people watch what you do. And, and so we see the fifth thing is this, and this is a challenge, is purity in how you behave. And, and simply... Where are you going and what are you doing? Oh, what a challenge. It says all those five things that we measure ourselves up against to simply say, no matter how long we've been saved, it says actually these are the things that matter. These are the things that Paul simply turns around and says, these are the things that are important as an example. It says he's not saying to Timothy, listen, Timothy. It says it's important that you're funny or you're smart or you're cool, or you're popular, or you're dressed right. Those are the things that matter. He's not saying that. He's not saying that. He's saying these things here. The speech, the conduct, the love, the faith, and the purity. You see, Timothy's been dealing with Paul's teaching. See, he's got to counter false teaching. And the best way to counter false teaching is to let your life reflect the teachings of Jesus Christ in the way that you live your life. Uh, and so Paul lists the speech as the first thing because the mouth is always the greatest example because the Bible, surprisingly enough, has a huge amount to say about the things that we say. James 3 verse 1 and 2 says, Not many of you should become teachers my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. As James writes that, his understanding of who we are as people is perfect. He says, who, who out of any of us is perfect in the things that we say? Who out of any of us have always said, the right things. We, we may be reminded of things that we said that we wish we'd never said, or things maybe we wish we had said, but is not able to say them now. James writes that here. I mean, it's interesting that Isaiah 6, when God calls Isaiah uh, to the prophetic ministry, the first thing he says is this, 
me. I'm a man of unclean lips. It says, my sin is evident, is saying, in the things that I say. Isaiah understood that in, in the Old Testament, that when God calls him, and he was going to be a spokesperson for God, he says, not me, because I'm a man of unclean lips. Solomon writes in Proverbs 21, verse 23, he says, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity, keep themselves from trouble. How many times has our mouth got us into trouble? All the time sometimes. By saying the wrong thing, by saying something we wish we had never said. He says it's interesting at the beginning of this year when we look at what Paul is writing to Timothy. He says maybe some of you are dealing with people in your lives that are just doing your heading. And what you want to do is respond to them in the unbiblical way. And yet Paul is laying out to Timothy, this is the way we live biblically. This is our conduct biblically. Because it's easier to do the other things sometimes. Yet the challenge comes out all the way through scripture. All the way through what Paul writes here to Timothy. He says, hey, what you say and what you do matters. Uh, it, it all matches up together. Everything else flows from our speech. Our lives, our love, our faith, our purity. It all flows from our speech. You see, with our mouths we can do this, we can, we can lie, we can abuse, we can say angry words, we can gossip, we can hurt. But we can also encourage and worship and build up and speak truth. Uh, and so there's an understanding of that all the way through Scripture. With the same mouth we do both things. That's why Paul kicks off with this and says, make sure that that speech right first. The things that you say, get that right first. Be an example to others because of what you say and that will flow into what you do. But Paul moves on here and he tells him to do this. He tells him to devote himself to three things. He says because he's dealing with the false teaching and he's dealing with the challenge of building up the church there in Ephesus which possibly wasn't one church, but lots of church plants that were planted all over the place. So his teaching's got to be right. But your teaching is only right if your study is right. Because you can only be a teacher if you're a student. You have nothing to say if you haven't learned anything. The idea that we come up and we simply just throw open scripture and believe that the Holy Spirit will fill our mouths with 40 minutes of sense when if we do that, what will happen is all that will come out of our mouths will be nonsense. See why? Because the encouragement that Paul tells Timothy to do, not just for the leader, but also for the followers as well, is to study, to preach, and to teach. But devote yourself to something. We all know what devotion is. There'll be something in your lives that you're devoted to. It may be the person, it should be the person that you're sitting next to. If you're married, it could be a hobby, it could be an interest, it could be something that you are devoted to, that you're simply saying that's the love and the concern and the, the thing or the person that I pay attention to. That's what devotion is. Paul says to Timothy, he says, devote yourself to this, pay attention to this, to study, to preach, and to teach, which is one of the ways I uh, taught try to help people understand how you read, understand and apply the scriptures is ruah. 
some other people that were young people when the youth, when we did the Bible studies, will understand that because you try to help them understand this is the way you apply scripture. Listen, our job as pastors, preachers, teachers is not to spoon feed you the word of God. It says, remember we said last week that the challenge that Paul threw out to Timothy was train yourself to be godly. It is your responsibility. It is your responsibility to feed yourself, to train yourself, to open up the word of God, to sit down, to study, to see what God has for you to say, has to say to you. Not the responsibility of the person who stands here who simply says, open wide and I'll give you something once a week and that'll help you through. It says that's not what we do. It says what we do is teach people and help people to read and understand and apply the scriptures. Well, how do we do that? Well, the first thing we do, and this is just a simple way, is to read it with your eyes to make sure that you're reading scripture. Whether you read it on the phone, whether you read it in a paper version, whatever way you read it, to make sure you read the scriptures. That's what Paul is saying here. Once you've read it with your eyes, it's important that you understand it with your head, that your mind is actually reading it and understanding what is God trying to say to me through what I'm reading. And the final thing which makes it, completes it, is this, is to apply it with your heart. And that's what Paul is, in a sense, saying here to Timothy. He said, listen, he says, devote yourself to these three things, to make sure that you're studying, to make sure you're preaching, to make sure that you're teaching. That actually what you're doing is counteracting the false teaching that there is, that you are facing by doing these things. Because he tells him, present the word with persistent confidence and diligence. Later on in 2 Timothy, which we'll, we'll come to later on in the year, Paul just tells him this, he says this, 2 Timothy 4 verse 2, he says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Now, I always looked at that and think to myself, all he's simply saying to him is this, he says, there's never an opportunity not to share about Christ. There's never an opportunity never to preach the word in season and out of season at all times. Be persistent in that. Be confident in that. We never know uh, what God will do when we are obedient to his calling to preach the word. And so that's why we do the stuff that we're doing. So as people come in and hear the word, that might be the time, the opportunity that God uses to save them. Preach the word in season and out of season. You see, in this culture for Paul and for Timothy, it would always be the public reading of Scripture. And this was always the foundation for the authority of it. For simply what they would do as they gathered together is that they would read either the Old Testament, which they had, or they would read these letters that they got from Paul. And it was so important for them to do that. That was, that was their meeting. That was the way their meeting was. They opened up with the, the reading of the Word. And then... Somebody would have said what they call the exposition. Well, what does it mean? Which is what we're doing today. What do these five verses mean that Paul is writing to Timothy? And then the application, which is how do I apply it to my life? How does it make a difference in my life? The danger that we have today in our culture, we have added, we have added another rung to the ladder. 
We've added something else that wasn't there at the time. We've added the reinterpretation of Scripture, which simply means this. Well, it doesn't really mean that for the society that we're living in today. It doesn't really mean that for the culture that we're in today. When, when that was written, they didn't know the challenges that we would be facing in 2022. There is no reinterpretation of Scripture. The Word of God is the Word of God. It stands sure, steadfast, and eternal. It has something to say to every culture because it's the living Word and it's a truth. And our danger is if we reinterpret the Bible, we will continue to do that until actually none of it is truth anymore. That actually none of it actually makes sense to people's lives. None of it makes a difference. It doesn't actually teach us anything because we're trying to reinterpret it by the society that we live in, by the movies that we watch, by what so-called Christian teachers will tell you this is what it means, by the books that we read. There is no reinterpretation of Scripture. And we must make that clear. The Bible stands sure, steadfast, and certain today as much as it did when it was written because it's eternal and it's God's word. And so therefore we must take hold of that and stand on that and make sure we're not adding that reinterpretation of it that we study, preach, and teach to challenges given. You see, the concern gets highlighted uh, because of this. Paul is writing to Timothy. The danger is sometimes in church is that we think leadership and lordship are the same thing. My experience sometimes, Christian leaders will throw out the touch not the Lord's anointed. And we've heard this as an excuse sometimes for leaders to behave any way they want. To simply say they're beyond criticism or they're beyond anybody saying anything to them. They're beyond oftentimes being wrong about anything. Listen, that, that's not what that verse means. And it's simply nothing to do with that. It's just a dangerous verse that allows people to behave any way they want. Because we are called to leadership. We are not called to lordship. And we must make sure as leaders in anything that we do, we do not confuse the two because they are not the same. It says leadership, as we've looked at already, is servanthood. Because Jesus Christ was the perfect leader. And in being the perfect leader, he was the perfect servant. You see, Jesus taught us a, a couple of things that helps us as we just move off this just for a second. Is uh, We lead by example, not by force. That's the whole reason that Paul is writing this to Timothy. He's actually saying to him, it's your lifestyle that is the example. It's not the number of leadership qualities you might have. Not the number of qualifications that you think fit into your life. It's not the number of courses maybe that you've done. It simply says this. It says it's your example. It's your example that people will follow. And if you let people follow your example, you don't need to bring force into it. You see, the model of leadership best illustrated is this. is a servant who invites a following not a boss who compels one. There's simply not somebody who simply says, you'll do this because I told you you'll do it. 
for somebody who says, come, there's something we need to do. Why don't you come along with us? Why don't we come and serve together? That's the example of leadership that Paul is trying to teach Timothy. It's the example of leadership that I read and think, I would much prefer to be like that and in my imperfection and in my shortfall and the things that I get wrong and the things that I do wrong, I would much rather be like that, which is, listen, God has called us to do this. Let's go together. Let, let's go. Let, let's go together. Let's all go and do what God has called us to do. Not forcing people. Not in a sense that just sort of says, well, we all got to do this and you have to do it because, you know, you're a Christian and we're all part of making people feel guilty. We've all had enough of guilty Christianity. We've heard it for years. It says, listen, the Christianity that Jesus presents is simply a Christianity that says, come on, there's a world to win. Let's go and win it. There's a community we need to make a difference in. Let's all go together and do it. You do your thing and I'll do my thing because it's all for the glory of God. We're all in this serving together. And you see, the great temptation is this, is that we think it's just all about what we do here at the front. And, you know, Paul is making that clear to Timothy. It's not. He says, make you example about these five things. And any authority that Timothy had was not based upon age and experience. It was based on character. It was who he was. It's how he reacted. It's the things that he said. It's how he treated others. Uh, and that's why we mention those. And, and here, and it moves on, and it talks about the gift that Timothy had received with the prophetic laying on of hands. And Paul encourages him through the letter and says, see that gift that God has given you? Well, listen, use it. Use it for his purpose. And I thought to myself, how many of us are sitting in here now one of the things that has happened over the last two years because of COVID is that things have got pushed to the back sometimes. Or because we feel, well, we don't want to be in an unsafe place or we don't want to be doing something that makes us feel unsafe. Listen, maybe the challenge this year is the gift that God has given you. Maybe it's time to fan into flame that gift, as it says further on in Timothy. Maybe it's time to start using that gift again. Because this is a challenge that Paul is throwing out to Timothy. He said, that gift that you've got, don't let it die. Don't let it become dormant. It's time to get involved again. It's time to do something. It's time to write your name down for something. It's time to say, I want to do something for God. That God has called us to be part of. Come on, let's all go together and do what he's called us to do. And the challenge that is thrown out, you see, because God's calling upon his life was more important than age, more important than experience. It was an appointment that God had given him. It wasn't a self-appointment. It was an appointment that God had given him. Maybe the challenge there is for you is simply say, you know what, God, I may not have all the abilities in the world. That's fine. He says, but God, I'm available. And I'll do what needs to be done to serve the kingdom, to help the church, to glorify you. And maybe that challenge is there for us to not neglect the gift, the possibility, the that what God has given you could not be used. You could just sit with it. Like the parable of the man with the talents who goes and buries it in the garden, thinking he's doing the right thing till his master comes back. And his master said, why didn't he go and use what I had given you? Why didn't he go and use that gift that I had left for you to use? And there's many sitting in the church like that. They have a gift. God wants to use it. 
but we think we're just burying it in the ground to keep it safe and God is simply saying it's time to use a gift it's time to use a gift to win the community it's time to use a gift for the glory of me it's time to use a gift to build the kingdom and so we offer ourselves up and so Timothy is encouraged to do that but he finishes with this because he comes and Paul lays out there that this challenge to him says we've done the train yourself to be godly but he throws out this and this could be this is a challenging one he says make your progress evident to all simply saying make sure everybody sees how you're growing make sure everybody sees what's going on in your life I mean when you say make your progress evident to all you're on display for people to say that actually they're looking at Timothy and they can't find anything to criticize him with they can't find anything to say, well, you know, he's got that wrong in his life. He said, make your progress evident to all. What's he saying? He's telling him to pay attention. To pay attention to your life and pay attention to your doctrine. The first thing is to take notice of yourself first. To point the finger at your faults first. To correct yourself first. You have nothing to say to anybody. Unless you're paying attention to yourself first. Because the beginning of this we looked at leading by example. Well the heart of leading by example is paying attention to yourself first. Is dealing with all of those things in your own life that you have to deal with before you lead anybody else. Now that doesn't mean we have to be perfect because as you well know I'm not perfect but then neither are you. Uh, and so there isn't anybody we bring up here that is perfect. But each and every one of us has this challenge. Pay attention to the way that you live. Pay attention to the things that you say. Pay attention to the things that you're teaching. And that's a challenge that Paul throws out to Timothy here at the end of the, 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 this, this chapter. You're studying, your preaching and doctrine is simply demonstrated in your private life and your public ministry. Paul has already told Timothy of the dangers in chapter 1 when he mentions the shipwreck of the faith in 119. He says, well, what stops your faith becoming a shipwreck? Well, if you're not devoting your time to the studying, if you're not devoting your time to the preaching and the teaching, if you're not, as we said last week, people of the word and people of discipline and people who trust God. He says that's how your life will end in a shipwreck if you're not paying attention to your own life first but then he says why do you pay attention to the doctrine because listen if you get the teaching wrong you lead others astray if you say something that is incorrect if you say something that is wrong you lead others astray what an awful accusation for that to be pointed at anybody who says something to simply say that you're leading others astray by wrong teaching or false teaching or things that aren't true. And so Paul is saying this to Timothy. Pay attention to your life first. But also pay attention to your doctrine. Because it's important that you understand what it is you're saying. Because he gives him the reason at the end. He says do that. And don't give up. Because your reward will be the salvation of others. I thought what a tremendous promise at the end of that passage. Where Paul has laid out. The challenge of example. But then he's told him that if you get this bit right, Timothy, this is your reward. There is no greater reward in life 
in ministering, in following God, the knowing that something that you said, something that you did, a way that God used you was responsible in it for, for bringing others to the Lord. An invitation to come along to something. A prayer that you prayed to see somebody saved. A conversation that you had. Because this is what Paul is saying to Timothy here. You get this bit right, this is a reward. The salvation of others. To see others saved in your place around Ephesus, in all these churches. If you get your life right, by example, and you get your teaching right, that it's not false. Actually, the reward and consequence of that is to see people saved. Is to see those that you love, those that follow you, those who listen to you, to see them saved. What tremendous challenge for us as a church at the beginning of this year. That actually to look and to say, that if we get those two bits right, our life as a witness, and the words that we say, it will lead those that we love to see them being saved. We can't save them. Only God can save them. But what a tremendous challenge for us to be good examples, to be good witnesses, to do what God has called us to do as a church and as a people. And the reward, that's the greatest reward that there is, is to know that God used us. God used us to save people. Let us pray. Father God, we, we come before you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We know your word is a challenge, Lord. Because, Father, when it speaks to our example, Father God, it challenges us about our conduct and our love and our speech and our purity. And, Father, none of us sit perfect. But God, we all do sit saved today. We all do sit as a people that you are doing a work in the lives of. And God, I thank you that you don't call perfect people. But God, you do call available people. And Father, in our shortcomings, Father, in our weaknesses, Father God, in the things that we do wrong, in the things often that we say that are wrong, Father God, we thank you that you still use us and Father God, we're believing this year, God, that for the salvation of many. And Father, if we don't invite them, if we don't speak to them about you, Father God, if we just think it will happen another way, God, we have missed the gift and the opportunity that you've given each and every one of us. So Father, we just pray for that. Father, would you use each and every one of us that are gathered here, those watching online, Father. Let our hearts be tuned, Father, to being used by you. Father, as, we, as we're challenged, that, that God, as we pray for this evening, Lord, our, our heart's desire is to see people saved, is to see them one, Lord, for you. And Father, though we can't save anybody, Father, we know that we have a part to play. That inviting, in that praying, in those conversations. Father, would you use us? Would you stir up our spirits as a church? Father, would you move us, Lord? So we are challenged, Lord, to do something because this world needs to hear the message that we have. 
time is short. Jesus is coming. The church has a mission. 